Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? That's terrible. That's awful. Everybody doing all right? All right. You're, you're, you're doing okay. You're, you're thinking about lunch. It's fine. I probably am too. Hey, uh, I'm glad you're here because last week, Trevor just talked about it, last week we started a brand new series called Generations, and if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to hop online, go to cantonchurch.com, click the little button that says listen to sermons, not because I preached really well last week, Um, I gave my best effort, but not because of that, but you need to hear it because it really sets the stage for who we are and who we are becoming as a church. Uh, last week was our first Sunday as, a, as an autonomous church. We've been a campus. We separated from that church and planted this church, that campus did, and, and just blessed us on the way out. And, and we won't talk about that every week, but it's just such a part of the season that we find ourselves in. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we decided as a church what our why is. Our why is because generations matter. We believe that when you come and you sit and you sing and you listen to messages and you serve and you jump into life groups and you do all the things you give and you go to the mission field, you do all those things. We believe that it is because generations matter. What we believe is that it's for you, your children, and your children's children. We draw that from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so really quickly, I just want to read the first two verses of Deuteronomy 6 that we read together last week. It says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and your children after, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy doing life. We said that we exist because generations matter. And what we believe is that when you come and do all those things, you're actually investing in your relationship with God, but you're helping to take the story of faith and have a story of faith to pass on to the next generation and to the generation after that. And then we challenged marriages and and families and sons and daughters and moms and dads to fight for family because we believe that it's important. We believe that it matters. We believe that the story of God is generational. And so for us, we want to constantly beat that drum to say we exist because generations matter. And so what you have to understand here about Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that this is Moses speaking to God's people on behalf of God. And so today, I want us to stay right there in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let me just tell you, and I, and I referenced it a little bit when I finished the, the prayer a minute ago. Like, if you've never been and you don't know me that well, you're going to think I am angry and I'm harsh and I'm mad and I promise I'm not. But today, I, I believe that God has given me a word for us related to this idea of generations, related to the idea that for us today and for our future, what we're going to talk about matters It's important for you, it's important for me, it's important for our families, and it's important for those who would come after us. Now, let me just kind of tell you that uh, I talked a little bit about some of the subject matters that we're going to talk about today in a series that we did back in April uh, in a series called Addicted. Uh, And so you can go back and listen to those sermons as well if you want to kind of get a little bit more of some of the things that we're talking about today. But I want us to stay in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I want us to just dive into this story to understand a little bit more about generations. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, 
a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. And I told you that this is Moses talking to the people of God as they have come out of captivity. If you're not familiar with the story, what you had is that God promised Abraham, Father Abraham, way back early in the book of Genesis, he promised him that he would be a people and that he would have offsprings as many as there were stars in the sky. And my brother, who's also a pastor, preached here last year, and I love the story that he told about Abraham. He said, you know, Abraham was promised that he would have as many offspring as there were stars in the sky, and at the end of his life, he had enough offspring to fill a minivan. So the promise of God to Abraham didn't actually get realized in the life of Abraham. It actually came much later, several generations later. And so this promise was held and held and held and held by God's people, And eventually they found themselves in Egypt, and when they were in Egypt, they were put into captivity, they became slaves, they were in bondage to the people there, and then God chose Moses to come and to set them free. And so Moses goes into Egypt, and through the supernatural power of God, they get set free, and they walk out on dry land where the water is rolled back, and now a million plus people walked out. God's people, the descendants of Abraham, a million plus at this point in history, walk out of Egypt, out into the desert headed towards the promised land that God had promised to their forefathers. And so now they're out in the desert, and in this point in history, God is speaking through Moses to help the people know how they should follow after God. Deuteronomy 6 is one of those places that we see him giving instruction that they should follow the commands and the decrees and the laws of God, and that's how that they would have a good life, and that's how they would receive the blessings of God. And when they get into the land, here's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to remember when they get to this place where there are flourishing cities that they will drink from wells they didn't dig. They will eat from vineyards and olive groves that they did not plant. And they will find these cities that are amazing that they did not build. And I love what what we read here. It's not going to be up on the screen. I love what it read. It says, then after you see all of this, then when you get to that place, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, because that's what we do. It doesn't matter how much God has given us very clear instructions. When we get to that place, when we find ourselves in that place where, you know, we're drinking from wells we didn't dig and eating from things we didn't plant, we eat and our bellies get full and we are satisfied. And in that moment, we forget the Lord. We forget that it was God who brought us to this place. It's one of the reasons that the front of our stage looks like it does. Some of you know this story. I talk about it pretty regularly, but on the front of the stage, there are 209 rocks. And those 209 rocks are important to me. They're important to a lot of us because we spent the first four years of our existence meeting as a portable church, setting it up, tearing it down every Sunday at Sequoia High School. And the last Sunday at Sequoia, which was January the 3rd, 2016, I stood up on that stage to preach kind of the final message in that season, and I had a big old pile of rocks. I don't think that the drama uh, teacher was excited about that, but I put a bunch of rocks on the stage there, and I preached a message out of the Old Testament talking about how they used to build altars of remembrance about what God had done in previous seasons for them. 
And you can read all throughout the Old Testament where that God would do something and he would say, build an altar here. And when your sons and your daughters ask, tell them, this is where God provided. This is what God did. This is what God did. And so we came into this building and we wanted to put 209 rocks there because we were portable for 209 Sundays. And there are new issues and struggles we have in this place, but there are some things that we struggled with back there that we don't struggle with anymore. And I wanted us to remember when we got to this place, when we ate and our bellies got full of the goodness and the blessings of God in this season, that we would remember the Lord. That we would not forget the Lord who was with us back there And the God that we found back there, the God that proved himself so faithful to us back there is the same God that is here with us now. He said, when you eat and are satisfied in that place, do not forget the Lord. But if you know anything about the story, eventually they did forget the Lord. Eventually, if you read way into the story, just a couple books over, here's what you find. You find this one verse of Scripture that says, there came a generation who knew not the Lord, nor the things that he had done for them. In my opinion, it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Because there came a generation after Moses, after Joshua, after God's people that walked across on dry land out of captivity, who knew not the Lord, nor the things that he had done for them. I think there's two main reasons that you ever get to a generation, after a generation full of faith, that finds itself knowing not the Lord nor the things that he's done for them. One of these I don't have time to unpack today. The other we're going to spend some time on. The first reason that I think we get to a generation like that is we quit telling our stories. We quit putting rocks on the front of stages. We quit telling the stories of faith. We quit telling our kids and their kids and the kids in our lives and the next generation and our spouse and the people that were not raised in faith, but we were, and we quit telling who God is to us and what God has done for us. We stop telling our stories. I think that's one of the ways that you ever get to a generation who doesn't know the Lord or the things that he has done for them. These were the great-grandchildren of Moses. How is that even possible? The second way that I think that we get to a place where we find ourselves with a generation that doesn't know the Lord is that we don't adhere to what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, which we already read. I'm asking them to throw it back up on the screen. This is what it says. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. God said, when you get to that place, don't follow the gods of the people that you will live among. And so what happened? Moses was disobedient, didn't trust God, got angry, struck the rock. God says, okay, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. There was a generation of people that had come out of captivity that didn't trust God. They built idols and worshiped idols and didn't worship God, and they forgot that God had brought them out. And so God says, no, this entire generation won't go to the promised land. So I'm going to bring up a new leader. His name's Joshua, and raise up this next generation, and they'll be the ones to go into the next season to take part in the blessings and the favor of God that I gave to your great-grandfather, Abraham. And so they walk into this land, and they are supposed to become a warring people immediately. They're supposed to go to battle and they're supposed to fight their enemies when they get into this place and they're supposed to take captive all these people that they would come in contact with. And the first place that they're supposed to do battle is a city by the name of Jericho. Jericho, the story of Jericho is found in Joshua chapter 5 at the end and really in Joshua chapter 6. 
And at the beginning of Joshua chapter 6, God says to Joshua as he's looking at this huge fortified city, this first place that they have to quit thinking of themselves as slaves who would submit to anyone that told them what to do and say, no, we're going to fight against our enemy and we're going to take them captive. God says something strange to Joshua. He says, look, for I have given you the city. No, you haven't. The walls are still up, the people are inside, and all the people inside want to kill all of us outside. No, you haven't. There's the city right there. I see it. You haven't given me anything. And then God gives Joshua and the children of Israel the worst military strategy in the history of mankind. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jericho, and I want you for six days to walk around the walls one time and be quiet. And then on the seventh day, I want you to walk around six times, be quiet. And on the seventh time, I want you to shout, for the Lord has given you the city. It's a terrible strategy. It's a terrible strategy. And I don't know how long it took to walk around the walls of the city, but I know that there was enough time in one day on day seven to walk around it seven times. So the first six days, there is at least six-sevenths of the day that we're sitting around the fire talking about what an idiot Joshua is, and God has left us here to die because we're just walking around the fortified city waiting on them to come out and kill us. I mean, not me, not you. Other people would have been saying that around the fire. I get it. But we're just sitting around going, who is Joshua and where did Moses go? And how did. And so on day seven, they get up outside the city. They walk around for six times. On the seventh time, Joshua says, Now shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the walls come falling down, and they rush in, and their job is to annihilate everything. It's one of those scriptures that's a little tough to read sometimes. We go, well, I don't know about that. I'm not really sure I like that. But here's what God said very clearly, very specifically. Here's what God said to them. When you go in, don't take anything for yourself. Take the sacred things and set them aside for me and everything else you're to destroy. And verse 24 of Joshua chapter 6 says this. They burned the whole city to the ground and everything in it. Except... We get to Joshua chapter 7. And we meet a man by the name of Achan. Now, we don't know Achan to this point. He was just one of the guys that was walking around the city being quiet. He heard the instructions, don't take anything. Here's the problem. Achan was at a point in the city while they were demolishing everything, annihilating everything. There came a point where Achan looked around, and there was nobody else there. It was just him by himself, and he saw some silver and gold. He had been in the desert. Silver and gold looked nice to him, and so he just kind of stuffed a little bit in his pockets. And then he found a Babylonian robe. I'm not sure where he hid it. Maybe under his own robe. But he put this Babylonian robe on, right? And like he walked into the city looking like me and he walked out looking like Trey Lopez. It's like, how did these people not see that he was hiding something under his shirt? And here's what happens. They come out of Jericho They've destroyed the entire city. They think we've been obedient to God, all of us. We have been obedient. And so then Joshua says, okay, now we go to our next city. We go to this little city named Ai. You know how I know it's called that? Because it's spelled A-I, Ai. And Joshua looks over there and says, it's a small city. We don't have to send the entire army. Let's give the men some rest. So we'll just send a few thousand of our troops. We'll send three or 4,000 over there. We'll win, no problem. They go into battle and they are defeated. Men lose their lives that day, and they come retreating back to Joshua, going, why did you bring us here to die? 
Why did God bring us out of the desert and out of Egypt if all we were going to do was get here and lose to our enemies? What is happening? And Joshua tears his clothes and he lays before the Lord and he cries out to God, God, what are you doing? Why is this the plan? Why are you giving our enemies victory and causing us to be defeated? And God says, no, no, no. You don't understand. I gave you specific instructions. Don't keep anything for yourself. There's sin in the camp. Joshua says, okay, let's go find it. So this is what he does. He has all of the children of Israel come and stand before him by tribe, and then by clan, and then by family, and then as individuals. It took a while. First tribe comes to stand before him. He listens to the voice of God in his life and says, nope, not them. Next tribe, nope, not them. Next tribe, nope, not them. On and on it goes until he gets to this one tribe and he feels like the Lord's saying, this is it. So he says, okay, now I want you guys to separate and I want every clan to separate out from within this tribe. Everybody else, go back to your tents. Every clan stands before him and he walks in front of them. He says, God, is this it? God says, no, not this one. Not this one. Not this one. This one. Okay, God. Joshua says, here's what I want you to do. Inside of this clan, I want every family to separate and come and stand before me. First family comes up. Joshua says, God, is it this one? He says, nope. Is it this one? Nope. Is it this one? Yep. If you are in that family, you're getting nervous. Because you're looking around going, who in the world... Joshua says, this is what I want you to do now that we've got it to the right family. I want all of you individually to come and stand in front of me. You don't think Achan's sweating? He says, God, is it this guy? Nope. Is it this girl? Nope. Is it this guy? Nope. He stands in front of Achan, and I can just assume Achan just went like this. God says, is it this one? I said, yeah, it's Achan. Achan owns up to it. He said, hey, if you'll go to my tent right now, you'll find silver and gold there, and you're going to find the robe of the Babylonians. It's all there. And then there's one of those passages in Scripture that we don't like so much. Joshua has them bring the silver and the gold and the robe, bring Achan and his entire household to come and stand before Joshua. And Joshua has them burned to death to root out the sin that was in the camp. At the end of the day, Joshua says, now we go back to fight Ai. But this time we don't take our enemies lightly. We're going to send every fighting man we have. And they go to Ai and they defeat their enemy, but there's a difference this time. This time God says, listen, when you get into the city, there's some plunder there. Take it for yourselves. What? A man just died because he took a Babylonian robe. We can just take that in Ai now? God says, yeah, because it's not about robes and it's not about silver and gold. It's about obedience. So back there, you were disobedient, and now I want to see if you'll be obedient. Take anything that you want. So they go in, they defeat AI, they completely annihilate the city. They take the plunder for themselves. And as I think about this story, I think it's just one of the examples where if we just follow the history of the children of Israel, we find places where they were supposed to destroy every enemy that lived in a certain place, and they didn't. And eventually they found themselves living among those people and they took their daughters to marry their sons and now you had this 
relationship where they were now worshiping the gods that was not Jehovah God. How does that happen? Because there's sin in the camp. You don't root out the sin. And when you go to find victory in a place that you should find victory, you actually find defeat, and you can't figure out why, and it's not because you're not stronger in this moment. It's because you've been holding on to something from back there that you were supposed to let go to. You're supposed to let go of it. You, you were not supposed to keep it. It wasn't supposed to be anywhere near you because God said, let go. You want victory? You want freedom? That's great. I give it to you. It is yours. You can be victorious. You can find freedom. And you're like, okay, so God, you're saying related to this thing, no. I think you mean maybe. Really. I think you mean maybe. I'm just going to keep a little of it in the camp, just the robe of the Babylonians. It's just nice so I can have something to wear on date nights. Like, I'm just going to keep a little something, just some silver and gold. Like, I don't know if we're going to go through a recession. I just want to, just a little bit in the tent, just to hold to the side. Like, nobody's going to know. And then you show up to AI, and you should win, and you lose, and you can't figure out why, and it's because you're hiding something in your tent. In all of my years in ministry... Hours of counseling people, helping people work through issues in their lives. No matter what the issue is, it usually comes back to how you answer this one question. Every person in the room, are you hiding anything right now? Are you hiding anything right now? Achan was hiding gold and silver in the robe of a Babylonian in his tent. Adam and Eve hid from God when they knew they had done wrong and eaten a fruit that they weren't supposed to have. And so they hid from God when he came to find them. Samson did not tell his parents that he had scooped honey out of the carcass of a dead animal, which was a no-no according to the vow, the covenant that he had made to God. Time and time and time and time again. Little things and big things, it doesn't matter. It all comes back to how you answer the question, am I hiding anything right now? The places in my life that I have gotten in trouble is when I quit telling the whole truth and I just told part of it. And God says, you want victory? You want freedom? Root it out. Get everything outside of you. Get everything out. Don't keep anything for yourself. Get rid of everything that doesn't look like me. Everything that causes you to be disobedient. And you go, okay, so you said no, but I think you meant maybe. I'm going to hold on to this one little thing. I'm just going to keep this little piece for me just in case I ever need to come back to it. And you show up to AI and you think you should be victorious, but you actually find defeat and you can't figure out why. It's because of some stuff you're hiding back in your tent. And it really doesn't matter. Honestly, it does not matter what it actually is. I would contend that it doesn't even have to be sinful. But I think you're smart. If you're hiding it, it's because you believe it to be wrong or you know if someone found out, you can't justify why you have it. In either case, it's wrong. In either case, if it points back to a moment, we're not arguing right and wrong today. I promise. In just a minute, I'm going to give you some other examples. I'm not here to argue right and wrong with you. I'm going to leave that to you and God. What I am saying is that if you know God told you no, he did not mean maybe. Maybe. If there ever comes a moment when you're not sure, what did God say? And if you're hiding it, it's probably because you know it is wrong. I'll give you a couple of specific examples. I got some stuff over here. Anybody been looking at this wondering what it was? It's not money. Nobody's getting a car. This is not Oprah. Nobody's getting anything. Here's 
I'll start with some simple things. This is a PlayStation controller. And let me just say, because we had some smart Alex at 9.30, this also would include Xbox, okay? We had one guy who was like, at least you didn't preach against Xbox. I'm not preaching against PlayStation. There's nothing wrong with this, I don't think. But if there is, every middle school boy in America is going to hell. I, I don't think that there is, though. I don't think there is. I'm saying that. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that says PlayStation, Xbox is wrong unless it's wrong for you. Unless it's wrong for you. Unless God's told you no and you just hold on to it. Do you know that there are marriages that have ended in divorce because of this? Because 25, 28, 32, 38, 45 year old men or women would rather do this than actually have a conversation with their spouse? That they would go and hide in the basement rather than have a conversation? Nothing inherently wrong. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't Instagram right now. Jeremy's preaching against PlayStation. No, he's not. No, he's not. But I'm saying if it's sin for you, maybe just in a season, and God said no, and you said maybe, it's wrong. It's wrong. Technology. We love technology. I'm a big Apple guy. I hope their next event's better than the last three. If not, I have some friends that will be Samsung guys. So, technology. I love it. There's nothing inherently wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong. Unless God said no. And you thought he meant maybe. Do you know, this, this statistic boggles the mind. It's like even outside the margin of error, okay? 97% of people under the age of 60 that have a smartphone check it within five minutes of waking up. 97%. If you have a smartphone and you're sitting in the room, only one of you waited 10 minutes is what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. On average, and I know this is a pretty wide range, but in North America, on average, a person looks at their phone between 46 and 150 times a day. That's a lot. And you're sitting here going, Jeremy, there's nothing wrong. And you may be right, unless you're wrong. Unless God has specifically said to you, this is the thing that's going to trip you up. The iPad, the television, Netflix, binging, Hulu. I mean, like, I love it, okay? But if this is what God said no to, he did not mean maybe for you. Don't hide it. Get it out in the open. Let's just take cigarettes and let it be the thing that stands in the place of all substances which have any addictive behavior whatsoever. Not even preaching against cigarettes today. Just want to use it as a visual to say if there's anything that you've ever had in your life that was causing you to be addicted to it. Remember, I did a series back in April where I talked about addiction, and the definition that we used during that series was an inability to abstain from giving in to a craving behavior or substance with cycles of relapse and remission. An inability to abstain from giving in to a craving behavior or substance with cycles of relapse and remission. So let's just take this as the visual today of the thing that was your cycle of relapse and remission. In no way today would I make light of the real struggle that you have. 
I believe that there are chemicals inside of your body that connect to chemicals inside of other substances that cause you to have very real struggles. In no way would I say to you today that that, you know, just, just pray about it and just be done with it. That may be the way God delivers you, but it may not be. It may be the patch and the gum, and it may be rehab, and it may be counseling, and it may be a number of other things, but I do believe with all of my heart that greater is he that's in me than he that's in this box. I believe it. And some of you are testimonies to that because you've told me the story of how this used to control you, and I'm talking about this in general, anything that had you bound. And you said, you know what, but there was a day. There was a day that I decided enough was enough, and it was time to root it out, and God in his power and his infinite wisdom, he did something in me I couldn't do on my own, and I've never looked back. I got in the right group. I got counseling. I got the right medicine. I got the right thing, whatever. But it was God and his power that sustained me. If God says no today, he doesn't mean maybe. It could be that you keep showing up to AI and you think, like, I should be winning at AI and I keep losing and you can't figure it out. But if you go back to your tent, it's right there. Way back there, God said, don't hold on to it. Let it go. It's not going to be easy. Silver and gold looks appealing. The robe of Babylon looks appealing. But don't pick it up. Don't pick it up again. It's not for you. This is not about plunder, because I may give you something else down the road. But in this moment, it's about obedience. Will you be obedient? And you keep showing up to AI, and you can't figure out why you're losing. But if you go back to your tent, it's sitting right there. Let it go. I'm not even arguing right and wrong. It's not the point. Some of you know that at some point in your life, God said no and you thought he meant maybe. And you say it's just one drink. It always turns into six, but it's just one drink. It's not the point. You can't figure out why you keep losing in AI. And it's sitting in your tent. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. Generations matter. I believe with all of my heart that generations matter. And some of you will walk out of this door and be mad at me. And here's what I did this morning. I made my peace with God. But I believe I would be remiss not to stand here and say to you, the reason you keep losing at AI is because what you're hiding in your tent. It's there. Go back, root it out, get rid of it, burn it. And walk back over to AI and see if God doesn't give you victory in a place you should have found victory a long time ago. Because when he said no, he did not mean maybe. And you held on. He said, get rid of it, annihilate it. Don't hold anything for yourself. And you held on to it because you weren't ready to give it up. John Wesley says this. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And then I ran across this quote that I can't cite because I couldn't find the source, but I am not stealing it. What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. Generations matter, folks. And you just think you're holding on to it because you can. And what I would say to you is just because you can does not mean you should. You hold on to it because you think it's okay. And surely God wouldn't say no because he didn't say no to that person. It's not about that person. 
It's about what God is saying to you right now in this moment. It's about what the Spirit of God may be saying to you. If generations really matter, then why would I hold on to something just because I can, knowing that my children may then struggle with that? Why would I hold on to something? Why would I continue in some type of habit or behavior or some type of way that I talk to people? The things that I say, the things that I do, the things that I think, the things that I allow in my home, why would I continue to allow those things just because I can if it's going to cause the next generation or the next generation to have a struggle that they don't need to have because they're going to have their own problems anyway? I don't need to keep piling on, adding things to them. It's not too late. Instead of continuing to show up to AI and expecting victory and finding defeat and you can't figure out why, go back and search your tent and see if there's anything back there that you're hiding that you need to get out, root it out, burn it, and live by the words of Revelation that says we're set free by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What if for the generations of your family, instead of holding on to those things just because you can, but maybe not because you should, what if you had a different story that you told to your children so that when they got in a moment where they could, but they don't know if they should, they remember dad talking about, or mom talking about, or grandma talking about, or grandpa talking about, or my aunt or my uncle talking about that moment when they rooted it out and they burned it. And immediately they found success and victory where they thought they should find success and victory instead of finding defeat in ways that did not make sense. I'm not trying to be legalistic today. Please hear me. If this is your first time, I realize you'll probably never be back. And it's been so great having you today. I recognize that. If you've been here a while, you need to hug me on the way out and just fake it. And so next week you can just repent between now and next Sunday and come back and say, I still love you. But there's a difference in legalism and holiness. Legalism says, I am perfect and want to call out all your faults so you look more like me. Holiness says, I am imperfect, but God is working in me so I look more like him. Today is a call to holiness, not a call to legalism. I'm not even arguing right and wrong with you because I trust God to speak into your life and help you to understand what may be right or wrong for you if it's not clearly spelled out in Scripture. But I'm saying when you hear the voice of God and he says no, he does not mean maybe. And if you want to show up to AI and find the victory that is rightfully yours because it's the promised land that God has already pronounced to the generations before you so that you would have a land to hand to the generations that would come after you, you got to go back to your tent, you got to root it out, and you got to make sure that you burn all of it so that there's no reason that you would find defeat where you should find victory. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We can read it in the Gospels as well. It says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I would contend to you today that you cannot be obedient in loving God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul and with all of your strength if you're still holding on to the small things that God has asked you to get rid of. All things include small things. Go back to your tent, dig them up, and get them out. Generations matter. Your children will thank you. Your grandchildren will thank you. Your spouse will thank you. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the 
the people in your small group, the people on your serving team, the people on your job, whether or not they even know what they're thanking you for, they will look to you and thank you. They will be appreciative that you dealt with the thing that they've been watching cause you to be defeated for so long and you just weren't really willing to deal with it. I'm not arguing right and wrong with you today. I'm just saying listen for the voice of God and whatever he, is. he says to you, be completely, fully, unashamedly obedient. Because generations matter. The Bible tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes here for just a moment. Nobody looking around. If you're part of our elders or spouses, you're part of our prayer team, I'm going to ask you to come to the front here for just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would come, be prepared to help serve and pray for folks that may desire to pray today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. And I know you think, man, that's crazy. And right now your heart's beating really fast and you're sweating and not because it's 78 degrees in here. It's like a spiritual sweat. It's happening. And you're not really sure what's going to happen right here. And you're not really sure how you're supposed to respond. But I believe for some of you in the room right now, you know God is speaking to you. You know that God is asking you to give something up. Go back to the tent, root it out. Right now is your moment to do that. And so before I pray, before I do anything, if you know, hey, I, I, I've got to deal with something, I just want you to stand right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Just stand right where you're at. I know it's hard. I know you're scared. I know you're scared. In the first service, it took about 20 seconds before the first person stood up, and then about a dozen more stood up with them. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now you're not going to be the only one standing. Go ahead and stand. You know you're supposed to stand right now. Don't be afraid that somebody's going to ask you why you stood. We're not going to do that. This is between you and God. We're going to join with you in prayer. We're going to allow you to tell us as much as you want to, but we're just going to allow God to do a work in you. If you know right now you're supposed to stand, just stand. I'm not going to manipulate the moment. I'm not going to linger longer than I need to. But you know in this moment, God is saying something to you. And you just know, i got to deal with it right now. Anybody else? I, I, I believe right now there's like three more people that are supposed to be standing. I'm talking about you. Just stand up right where you're at. Right where you're at. Just stand up. All right, we're going to pray. And if while I'm praying, you haven't been standing yet, but you believe it's time, you just stand up right where you're at. When I begin praying, if you're standing, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. These people here love you. They love this place. They know how to call on the name of God on your behalf. You tell them as much as you want to tell them, but they're just going to begin praying with you. They're going to ask you your name so they know how to pray. And then you just tell them as much as you want or as little as you want, and they're going to start praying for you. As soon as I start praying, you come to the front. God, I thank you today for the victory that is found in this room. You can move right now. You can move right now. Your word tells us that in your presence, there's liberty, there's freedom, there's victory. And God, some of us today have been holding on, trying to figure out why we found defeat in little places like Ai, we should have found success there. We should have been victorious there. And God, we can't figure out why it's happening the way it's happening. But God, there's sin in the camp. We're hiding some things in our tent. We're hiding over in the bushes like Adam and Eve. And we're trying to get away from you and escape you because we know that you know. And so God, right now, I pray for every person that stood. 
I pray for every person that wanted to stand but just couldn't get the courage to do it. God, we pray for them now. The standing is not where the victory's at. This place right now, your presence is where the victory's at. But God, as we stood today, or as we desired to stand, we were acknowledging our need for you. So God, we call on your name today. We ask you for the courage. We ask you for the boldness to find freedom in you, to find victory in you. God, help us to root out every hint of sin in the camp because generations matter. This is for us and our children and our children's children. And so God, right now, we pray that you would do a supernatural work. God, you would heal us. You would forgive us. God, you would help us to have the courage and the boldness to do all that you're asking us to do, to be obedient. It's not even about the sin issue or the issue in our lives. It's about obedience to you. God, do a work in us and do a work through us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 